Amen. Uh, Dom is precious. A lot of you already know that, but uh, met him. Ken Graves is a, a dear friend, and he's the pastor at Calvary Chapel in Bangor, Maine. And uh, he, he came out to California with Dom. He always travels with one of the guys that he's discipling. And I heard Dom's story, and it melted my heart. Um, Dom uh, was from New Jersey, I think Camden, New Jersey. And he was, uh, he was dying in an abandoned home, dying of MRSA. Uh, the home had been burned, and he was sleeping on um, a burned cushion of a broken couch. And um, paramedics found him and took him to the hospital. One of the nurses recognized him as having been a classmate of her son's who had struggled with drug addiction. And, and um, Dom, I think, was strung out on heroin, maybe. And he lived. And the nurse said to him, you should go uh, to a discipleship program up in Bangor, Maine. And I don't think Dom had ever left New Jersey, maybe to go to Philadelphia for a Phillies game because he is a rabid uh, Philadelphia Eagles fan. Like, when I say rabid, rabid. <laughs> and, and he went and uh, came to Christ and um, brand new creature. And when you see the before and after pictures, he was emaciated. And, and now you look at him, he's just, he looks like Hulk. And... Uh, we were at TBN Studios, and Ken and I were both getting filmed, and he's laughing at us because we're both getting makeup put on. And he's mesmerized by California, and the girl who's doing the makeup is smitten with him, keeps looking at him. And uh, my girls, who all have discernment, and so does my wife, said, he'd be perfect for Sarah. <laughs> so Dom's working here now, married to Sarah. And... Uh, And they're expecting. Yeah. It's really sweet. Also, um, the announcement about the, the marriage event. Fellas, go to that. I had 33 years of marriage, and I, I had probably one of the toughest days of those 33 years this week. So if you think you're immune to it because you've been married a while, you're an idiot. I'm speaking by example. So. No, go, go to it, really. It's like taking your car into a garage for a tune-up, if that helps you understand it. Yeah. Most guys spend more time preparing uh, for the purchase of a new car than they do preparing for marriage. So go spend some time at things like that. That's why we provide them. And then one last thing. I talked to you about having Riza. Islam up on the stage on Saturday night as we showed um, Plandemic 3. And if you follow the news, you know that Riz has been in some dicey situations and there's some um, concern over his character. Uh, I wasn't aware of that, but that doesn't exempt me from having him come on the stage. But I, I will say this, I, I, I'm not going to have him come speak. Um, I'm grateful for the stand that the Nation of Islam made uh, as an entity standing in opposition to having their people take the injection. I was glad they stood. I wish the evangelical churches would, would have stood. 
Riz has got his shortcomings, uh, and they're many, as do I. I, um, I was thinking about a guy who had been married a number of times, and he was, he, he was a terrible businessman. He'd had three bankruptcies. Um, he was ruthless, had no scruples, no morals. Nobody wanted to go into business with him because if he had partners, he'd, he'd bleed them dry. And he saw an opportunity, and he was on his, I think, fourth wife. And he was a spy for the Abwehr, which was the German secret police in Czechoslovakia. And he was reporting Jews everywhere. He started a, a munitions factory to help with the war effort. He never put a list together. That, that's all made up by Spielberg and Hollywood. Um, Itzhak Stern never existed. It was a conglomeration of three or four different Jews that were held in the ghettos there. He ended up, though, um, going all in with his, his wealth. He could have easily have vacated and moved west with what money he had made from the Third Reich. But he stayed in wanting to ensure that 1,300 Jews would live to see tomorrow. He's listed in the Avenue of the Righteous in Israel. After the war, he moved to Argentina and abandoned his wife, moved back to Germany, continued being a womanizer and a drunk, made his money off of people thinking so highly of him. His wife died in abstract poverty. She said he was a womanizer and a drunk, but if he came back, I'd take care of him. So she never divorced him. And that was Oscar Schindler. We elevate him. You know, I, I, uh, I, I think of the folks that have been involved in this fight for freedom it's, a, it's an eclectic crowd. And, and as I've said earlier, many I've, I've never known before and got to know. Some, I, and, and, a, and a few folks are saying, what are you doing with that person? Or what are you doing with that person? And they're saying to me, what are you doing with that person? What are you doing with that person? I said, well, I'm standing with them. I, I went to um, defend, uh, not defend, but to sit in support of John Strand when he was sentenced uh, in the D.C. jail. And I, I was questioned about that. Why did you go out just for him? I said, because he's the only one who invited me. We support uh, Colleen, um, no, Corrine, excuse me, Corrine. Uh, her married name, Annenberg. Um, she's gone to every trial. She keeps us abreast of all the J6 folks. It's tragic what's happening. They're coming after Christians. There's been over a thousand arrests. What's taking place is it, the, the trial. I sat next to Congressman Bob McCune and Liz McCune. Just, just to sit there and listen to it was nauseating. You don't hear any of it. You don't see any of it. It's deliberate. And I get it. And, and as I shared with one friend who I so appreciate and, and especially the work they do, to dig deep. 
I said, you know, I, I, I would have I gone for anybody facing the injustice of January 6th. I, I, know, I know John's done some terrible things, some by his own admission. So the one thing I do know is that if I'm sitting in that sentencing hearing, he'll probably be sitting in my trial. I, I, just, I just don't know that in this season of life, we have the luxury of dividing. We've got to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace. I, I cannot overlook corruption, and that, that was evident in the evidence that was given to me, and that's why I state it now. But in the same regard, there are things I'm grateful for. Um, I am not an adherent to the nation of Islam. I don't believe in their theology. I don't believe in their anti-Semitism. But I am grateful for an organization that stood in opposition to the vaccine. I, I, I can't deny that. So that man represented them. I found out about him. I'm grateful for the, for the work that's been done to keep me abreast of that. It makes me smarter and sharper, and I try to do my best. And if I fail, let me know. And I'll tell you, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll work on it. Amen? All right, so that out of the way. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I had, as I alluded to earlier, my birthday was th Thursday. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I, was, I was looking forward to it like a colonoscopy. I just <laughs> really, really didn't want it. I don't know what it is, but it's just like, yeah, birthdays, whatever, let's move on. I was looking forward to the month of August, spending time in Coronado, uh, wanting to write. And God has a way of changing things around. And uh, the evening of the 9th was a rough, rough night. Went into the early mornings of the 10th, which was even worse. And just realizing... You know, you, you think you know something and then you realize you don't know anything at all. And you, you find yourself empty and discouraged. And then I, I, had, I had done the Saturday night event with Dr. Judy and G. Edwin Griffin and uh, the speakers up here, Mickey Willis. And, and then I thought to myself, I don't want to be there, and I announced them, and then I left. And then Sunday, I didn't know what I was going to do. It was, it was rough. I won't go through the details because it's personal. It's not disqualifying, don't worry. It's just personal, so just stay out of it, will you? <laughs> and, uh, and then after services, I want to go see my wife who I hadn't seen in a while. She was up taking care of my in-laws who my mother and father-in-law wanted to spend two and a half months up at their lake house. And so Michelle drove them up there because my mother-in-law struggles with COPD. And when she got there, she had a terrible event happen. She ended up in the hospital and I, I still think she's in there. 
So I went up and I, I was I, I, I was walking in the flesh full of me. Um, kind of feeling like, well, Father's Day was all about your dad. And I understood that, which I didn't. I made her life miserable then too. And I said, but my birthday's coming up. I don't really want to spend it at the lake. I'd like to go do something. Let's get away. Well, I can't get away. I got to be with my folks. So I wasn't very nice. And then trying to deal with that and waking up and then thinking, okay, I got to go back and preach a sermon. I, I not only suck as a human being, but I'm, I'm supposed to somehow communicate God's word to people whose lives are far better than my own and somehow inspire you. Um, and I think the only way to do that is through what not to do, because I'm really good at that. <laughs> I'm experiential, and I'm going to help you not to be. You understand that? And so I open up to where we are, and I'm ready for the Lord to speak to me. I've tried to get right with him. And it's Joshua 5. The whole passage is about circumcision. I'm like, <laughs> really? <laughs> Can we go to six? I'm the one who said we're teaching the whole book of Joshua. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, the whole council. <laughs> Circumcision. And would you know it? With a little simple prayer to a God who says his word is living and breathing. He caused me to come alive to it, minister to my heart, and I pray he does to yours. It became an awakening, and this is one of the most exciting messages I've ever looked forward to giving. I pray it blesses you. Open up to Joshua 5. If you don't have a Bible, these folks who have waited for this, through this long introduction, holding the Bibles, are waiting for you to help them. Just raise your hand, they'll give you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to keep it. Joshua chapter 5. Please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Bless you. Thank you. I'll read out loud. If you'll follow along silently, sneezes are permitted. <laughs> so it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. So I see, 
Let's see, got a map. Where are we? Well, here's the hill of the foreskins. So we. <laughs> you got to love the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were all consumed, meaning they died, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. They were supposed to be circumcised on the eighth day by their parents. Their parents didn't do that. They didn't obey God. So now they're adults and they're all a little irritated. Couldn't we have done this earlier? <laughs> so it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. And then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal. To this day it means rolling away. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate the produce of the land on the day after the Passover of unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold... A man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But as commander of the Lord, I have now come. What an interesting answer. Are you for us or against us? No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so, reminiscent of what the burning bush when Moses spoke, take off your sandals. Where the ground on which you stand is holy. Don't let so much as the sole of your shoe get in the way of a relationship with me. You are in the presence of the living God. Circumcision. Interesting. Lord, your word is alive. Please, God, cause us to come alive to it that you would take, in some respects, an obscure passage of circumcision to awaken us to the realization that it's all about grace. 
And God, what you did for the Israelites, you want to do for us right now in this place. And so, Lord, please, as you did to my heart, and I know I did not deserve it, I didn't even feel worthy to ask. And your outpouring of love was overwhelming. Your grace was so profound. Thank you, Lord. Would you do that for all who are present here in this place, present in the hearing of my voice, and those who are watching around the world? Let your word go forth. Let it accomplish that for what you set it to do. Cause us to come alive. Bring salvation. For by grace, through faith, we have been saved. It is a gift of God. Not of works. Nobody gets to boast. Today, one and only one gets the glory. And that is you, the commander of the army of the Lord. You, Jesus. And we praise you. And we thank you. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat if you would. How old am I today? I am celebrating the 38th anniversary of my 21st birthday. <laughs> 59. Thank you. I love and appreciate you too. I'm 21. I'm 38. Yeah. And I'm not old. I'm just older. Right? Amen. Now, 60 is different. I don't know. I drag my sorry carcass up here. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. Come on. Stop it. We got work to do. So in relation to this passage, which is so fascinating to me, they've crossed over the Jordan. They get to the other side. God parts the waters, scares the daylights out of those who occupy the promised land. The Amorites and the Canaanites, their, their, their hearts are, have melted. They, they, they are done. They just they want to run. They don't have any clean underwear in any camp. They're just scared. That's awful. I can't say that. And I keep doing it. It's just the way my brain thinks. And in the midst of this, they get in. They hear this. They have the reports. They've made it through. They've built the monument in the middle of the Jordan. So when the drought comes, they can see God's faithfulness. They built the monument on the side of the Jordan so they can declare that God did this. They watched God do it. They saw the ark. They knew what was in the ark. The, the moral law, the Decalogue, the, the staff of, of, the, of the priest. They saw the manna of God's provision that were to be in his word every morning. And they followed that at 2,000 cubits, about 1,000 yards. They all get across on dry land, and they're all there, 40,000 soldiers numbered. And this over 80-year-old man, Joshua, <gasps> comes out to 
He's, he's more than 80 because he's, he's been with Moses most of the time. He, Moses died at 120. I, Joshua's not a spring chicken. He's not going out to swing a sword. And but he, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel. Again, the second time. Hmm. I don't know about you. The scripture declared that you circumcise a child on the eighth day. We'll cover that momentarily. And our boys, boys were circumcised. They don't remember it. I was circumcised. I don't remember it. You come to me now? With a flint knife? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, we got some more to do. I'm like, oh man, you're going to be picking up your teeth with your broken arm. No. There's not a man in the room like, oh, let's do that. <laughs> Who's with me? And yet, this is how the story begins. The first act when they get in the promised land. Take the most sensitive part of your body that really means the most to you. <laughs> and we are going to cut it. Not with a surgical knife. Not with an anesthesia. Not with one of those little doctors. Old, no, flint knife. Ever seen one of those? Not pretty. But I digress. Let's get to the text. They heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel. And I love this. When our spiritual enemies see that we are trusting in God and are willing, and are willing to step out in obedient faith, even when it seems crazy, they instantly lose confidence in their battle against us. We may forget, but our spiritual enemies always remember that if God is for us, who can be against us? That's Romans 8.31. They know that when we are really trusting in God, their defeat is assured and eminent. You just can't stop somebody who's committed to the things of God. Look, I'm not responsible for the outcome. I'm responsible for the obedience. And I'm immortal till God's done with me. And I don't care what you do to me or where you put me. I won't shut up. And I'm going to keep doing what's right. Now... That being said, they can frighten you. The only weapon they possess is fear. Well, we're not going to kill you. We're just going to take you piece by piece, which they did to many of our soldiers in Vietnam. I remember James Stark telling me he was hung on a meat hook in the Hanoi Hilton. People who endured that. James Stockdale used to wander Coronado, died of Alzheimer's. He would, Sybil would say, has anyone seen me? And they'd all walk him home. Most highly decorated combat veteran in, in the Vietnam War. A Medal of Honor. He was the highest ranking POW in the Hanoi Hilton. They beat the living daylights out of him. When he was a vice presidential candidate for Ross Perot, he couldn't hear the questions that was being asked by the reporters during the debate because they had 
beaten him so badly. But I'll tell you what, you get to a place where you realize they can do whatever they want to this physical body. And the only weapon they possess is fear. He was a stoic by background. He learned to overcome that. He inspired all the men. I pray that he came to know the Lord at the end of his life. Many ministered to him accordingly. And here you see Joshua told by the Lord, make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. Apparently all during the 40 years of waiting in the wilderness, none of the sons born during that time had been circumcised and now God commanded that this be done. This new generation was raised up in place of the generation of unbelief and God would go on, but the people of God who had unbelief would not share in it. So you had an entire generation of people who had been told to circumcise a child on the eighth day. They didn't do that with their children. Their children grow older. They're disobedient. They die. An 11-mile journey, an 11-day journey took 40 years until they all were dead. Their children lived, but they hadn't been circumcised because their parents didn't do what the Bible said to do. Your children don't know the Ten Commandments because you don't know the Ten Commandments. You haven't trained them because you yourself haven't been trained. And I'm not blaming, I'm not saying that to those of you who have. I'm, I'm saying to those of you who haven't. If you're expecting the school district to do it, they're not going to do it. If you're expecting Sunday school to do it, we get them for an hour. You have them all week. And they would love to learn from you because things are caught, not taught. They want to see you applying it, so it's important to them. If it's important to mom and dad, it's important to me. So they didn't do what God said to do. And, And now they've listened to Moses. Moses is gone. Joshua, now the fear of the Lord, as we saw in the last passage, is on Joshua. Joshua is the man These people are ready to go. They cross over on dry ground during flood stage. They get to to the plains of Jericho. There is the most frightening structure in all of the plains of Jericho. A, a, A wall so big you can ride a chariot around the top of it. And they're like, what are we doing now, Joshua? Joshua comes up in his walker. Okay, I had made a few flint knives. And everybody, uh, males, you're going to cut your smackles. Slice them. Let me show you. You first. (laughs) Get over here. You can imagine him going... Jericho's there. The floodwaters are here. You're going to cut this? Do you know what's going to... Infection. It's a center. It's like this... It's like your core almost. For men, it's, it's like that's not... I'm not moving. Let's go to battle. Oh, God. Who's with me? And if you were thinking I'm being crass, think about it. Plus, this is what goes on in my head. (laughs) 
they obeyed him. Joshua circumcised their son. Circumcision was always a powerful act of consecration to God in it. And Israel said, I'm not like the other nations. I listen to God and do what he says I should do. It was stepping out into faithful obedience and identifying oneself as one of the Lord's people. It was renouncing the flesh and the world. And it was dying to self and living to God. (laughs) That's dying to yourself. Four most important things to a male adolescent, 15 to 18 years of age, air, water, food, sex. Most 15 to 18 year olds would give up air, water, and food for sex. They have a sexual thought like every 20 seconds, whether major or minor. I got to go to history class. I got to go. <laughs> Their friends are talking about sex. Everything on television is sex. Everything is radio and TV and screens and YouTube. and <laughs> We're going to cut that. <laughs> it's one thing when you're eight days old. It's another when you're 18. That's a dying to oneself. And then you're going to have to recover on the plains of Jericho within fighting distance of the enemy's ramparts. They stayed in their place in the camp till they were healed. I don't know how long that took. For me, I'd be like, if there's no morphine, we're doing three weeks, four, four months. And what, what antiseptic do they have? Pour wine on it? I don't know. They stayed in their place till they were healed. Obviously, this was, a su- was suicidal from a military standpoint. What general would go, men? Everybody's going to get circumcised today. Before the Battle of the Bulge. Before we invade Normandy, we're going to circumcise ourselves. Uh, Gettysburg. Yorktown. All right, nobody's following me. It was suicidal from a military standpoint. All the men of fighting age were made completely vulnerable and unable to fight for a period of several days till they were healed. You know what that is? That's called faith. I don't let that old man cut that sensitive area of my body. I got a river at flood stage behind me and the castle of Jericho in front of me. I'm the invading army and I'm gonna be incapacitated for several days. But God parted that sea. He brought me here. And if God said to do it, I'll do it. That's it. So the passage and what God showed me is that all the men today, we're going to, um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Let's see how serious you are about the Lord. 
till they were healed. So not only did Israel cross over the Jordan at a military undesirable place right in front of Jericho, the strongest military outpost of the Canaanites, they also incapacitated their army for several days. They did this because they trusted God, his directions instead of their own wisdom. They were put in the place where they could trust in nothing but God alone, a hard place, but a good place. God only asked this of them after he showed his greatness by the Jordan River crossing. When we remember all the things the power of God has done in our lives, we're willing to trust him in radical obedience. I had a problem with the text. I am thinking to myself, God, why didn't you have them get circumcised on the other side of the Jordan? And then part the Red Sea. Excuse me, the Jordan. Why did you have to get them into the enemy territory and then ask them to do that? Faith. Faith requires trusting God, believing in things not seen. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. That's what Gilgal means, rolling away. I like that. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. The reproach was their shame from Egypt. The shame of their degrading slavery. The reproach was rolled away by their radical trust and obedience to God by taking the specific action he told them to. Rolling away. God rolled away the stone after three days. He overcame the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The tomb is empty and the shame is gone. There's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. There's no temptation that has seized you, but that which is common to man. When you're being tempted, God will give you a way out. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be washed as white as snow. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That stone was rolled away. And with that, the reproach, the shame, the shame of slavery, I came to the Lord not so that he could make a better Rob McCoy. I was a moral pagan. I thought myself a pretty good guy. If you could be saved by good things, I should have been saved. I was up every morning at 4 a.m. in the water by 5, finished by 7, at school by 7.50. I did weights in the afternoon, came back and swam from 4 to 6 and didn't miss a single practice for four straight years, never missed once, including three hours on Saturday from 7 to 10. I didn't have time to drink or party. I broke every record in our high school, junior college, and university. I made the Olympic trials. I made the senior nationals. And then I came to Christ. And I wanted to show God what a good guy I was. 
I was introduced to the Lord in a somewhat legalistic church where you don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those who do. And I would fast for 15 days at a time because I knew discipline, water only. And I knew God was going to bless me. And when I became pastor of the church early on, I did radical things because I wanted to see radical things from God. I wanted to see the book of Acts, miracle stuff happen. And I just go without food, just water only. And and all I get is hungry. I mean, there'd be some cool things that happened, but nothing significant. Tithing would drop, people would leave. I'm like, really? I mean, this is the way you treat your friends, it's a wonder you have any. (laughs) Do you see what I did? That's 15 days. I mean, I can try out for Schindler's List. I'm emaciated. <laughs> All those things you've done for God. I went on the mission field for you, Lord. I worked in children's ministry, and no one ever sent me a thank you note. <laughs> no, you don't understand, Pastor. Those kids were monsters. I do understand. That's why I don't do it. Thanks for doing it. You want a note here? No, my, my, my point is, if that's your motivation, you're going to get tired and Christianity's going to fail you. It's awful. You see, the reproach that he rolled away was our sin. And now he asks us to walk in the victorious Christian life on the other side of the Jordan. And the first thing he asks us to do is to circumcise ourselves. That's radical obedience. Sex is intended for marriage between a husband and wife. God, that's why he created it. A lot of folks find that shocking and outdated and old school. I don't care. I mean, I care for you, but I, I don't care what you think of me, in my opinion. No, not my opinion, the truth. You see, sex is an expression of intimacy, physical, emotional, and spiritual. The people who are having the best sex are Christians, faithful Christians. The reason why? I'm going to use my sons as examples. It's hilarious to me because for my birthday, for my brother-in-law, I got warning, pastor, anything you say in my presence can be used as an illustration. (laughs) (laughs) My kids have grown up with it. Um, Daniel. uh, he's, He's an ensign in the Navy and his... His fiance Jensen is in Dallas. She's a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. They're separated from each other. He's out at sea for 30 days. He's deployed. And I remember when they were dating in high school, and I go, son, man, I don't know about dating at this age because, I mean, it's a long time to wait. You can't hold a hot coal in your lap and not get burned, son. She's a pretty girl, and I, 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 I tell you what, it was, if I was dating your mom... 
I don't know if I could do that. I'd just be real cautious. He goes, well, Dad, what can I do? Well, you can do with her anything. Well, the Bible says she's your sister in Christ, so you can do with her anything you, you do with your sister. That's like nothing. <laughs> Can I hold her hand? Would you hold your sister's hand? Yeah. What would you be thinking when you're holding your sister's hand? And what would you be thinking when you're holding her hand? Well, why do you got to go there? Hey, look. You ask the question, I'm giving the answer, son. He goes, well, what are we supposed to do? Talk. Talk. Yeah. Yeah, most relationships, most relationships don't start out physical. They go right to it. And then they spend the rest of their life wondering, who are you? And then you lose a baby or a parent. You go through a trial. You lose your job. And you don't survive as a couple because all you know about each other is physical. What you win a person with is what you win them to. If you get to know her heart and her mind, you've been one to her heart and her mind. Ask questions. Learn active listening. Really? Yeah. And he come to me and go, do you have any more questions I can ask? Yeah, I got some fun ones here. Oh, those were really good. You got any more? Your turn to think it out, son. You know, they're separated. They're not getting married until next year, I think March. And, and, and he, when he's deployed, he, he doesn't have access. But the minute he gets into port, or what, they talk every night. And they are the cutest together. And you'd think they would be bored to death because they've talked. They sit and they talk about everything. I, I'm convinced the reason why my mother and father remained married all those years is because every night they had cocktail hour. Cocktail hour just meant... <laughs> The kids don't get to come in, and we get to talk. And they close the door. The only thing we got to have was the olives with a little vodka left inside, which I appreciated. Good. They like martinis. Some had gin, but then. where was I? You see, God gives as an expression of intimacy, and and that's that's the idea of what God wants, but. The Bible says they're naked and unashamed. He takes away the reproach and the shame. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One of the things Michelle and I enjoyed together was sitting down and I had a little game and asked questions of each other. And after 33 years of marriage, we started learning things we didn't even know and we're laughing at it and having a great time. That was great. Kind of like date night questions. And, and I... I I just, I, 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 don't, I don't know how it's possible, but I, I love her more in 33 years than I loved her when I first met her. And I loved her then. I love her now. And I, and I, I think about all of these things. And, and, and even the stuff I learned that I didn't know. And in the stuff she learns about me that she didn't know. And I'm not proud of it. But the shame is gone. The reproach is gone. As God has forgiven you, so do I. It's just, we laugh at it now. 
And we think, gosh, let's make sure the next generation doesn't have to deal with that misery. And that's Gilgal. The Lord rolled away the stone. He's cast our sin as far as east is from the west to be remembered no more. As God has forgiven you, so forgive one another. To the level you judge, you will be judged. If you were harboring resentment, which I was in my heart, August 9th through the evening of the morning, early morning of August 10th, my birthday, I had resentment I could not shake. Because it was all about me. And I had to make sure my flesh died. It wasn't a flint knife, but it certainly was a circumcision of the heart. God broke my heart. I'm going to show you how he did it, and I pray it ministers to you. This is the same work God wants to do in us, taking away the dishonor and shame of our previous sin and rebellion, seeing ourselves as who we are in Jesus. I love how it says, after the Passover, like we took communion last week, and the only unleavened bread is Jesus. He doesn't have any leaven, which is sin, that microorganism that flatulates to cause bread to rise. There's no sin in Jesus. In the same way, we are in constant remembrance of our redemption at Calvary and live our lives in the shadow of the cross. That's why Jesus says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I am your righteousness. I am your savior. I am your hope. I am your redeemer. I am the king of the Lord's army. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. There we go. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And when the people were able to provide for themselves from the rich produce of Canaan, God stopped the manna. He didn't want them to get lazy, but to enter into a new partnership of trust with him. They ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. God always provides, but he is perfectly free to change the source of his provision. We need to trust him, not in his manner of provision, or we will stumble when those change. The city of Gilgal became the place they would return to after battle and remembered finding strength in the remembrance of the memorial. And it's good to have a place like Gilgal in our lives. This is a place where we come into God's presence, a place of memorial, a place of obedience and redemption. And I have two places like that in my life where when I go there, God ministers to me and I remember and I'm grateful that food God provided basically welfare for over 40 years. When they ate the produce of the land, he had given them the manna ceased. And now he says, a man who does not provide for his family is less than an infidel. If a man does not work, he does not eat. Get out of your basement, turn off the Nintendo or the Xbox, kids, and get to work. Go get a job. Take a shower. Start treating yourself like the person you want to be, a provider and a protector, and I'm talking to men. And ladies, God didn't call you to be independent, but encouraging. You can be strong-willed, 
You can be powerful because you're a helpmate. It doesn't mean that the only person you can marry is a beta male. Beta males are the ones that walk around going, is this okay, dear? <laughs> they have the ring in their nose. Have you seen it? <laughs> Get over here. Yeah, yeah. They have to talk like that because it's in their nose. Yeah, yeah. You want a man who leads? Make him feel like the man who leads. Why are you going that way? Because that's the way I want to go. But that is mud. We're going to walk right into mud. Blip, blip. It's not mud, it's chocolate. <laughs> it doesn't taste like chocolate. He'll turn around when you go, I mean, I can't, I can't stand any higher. Will you, will you help me? You know, uh, I don't think this is the best approach. Let's go back. Men love to lead. If they don't lead... Some women have to take over. When you do, try not to make it obvious. <laughs> it's fascinating that, that in, in the world, an alpha, women break the rules for alphas. They'll have morals and, and rules, but they'll break them for an alpha because they, they want to marry that provider protector and they see that beast of a... Adonis of a man. Well, yes, I'll go drinking with you. <laughs> and for betas, you make the rules. Now, if I end up with you, you're going to do the dishes and the laundry, and you're going to vacuum. And if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. We need men. I have no idea how I got off on that. <laughs> but I will say this. God ceased the manna. The welfare was over. He said, now it's time to do your own work. Go to work. They now occupy the land and they need to design and establish a nation and an economy I'm limited on time, but I went long in the last service. I'm going to do it again. I'm invoking Congressman Bob McCune. It must be invoked. First party, second party, third party purchase. First party purchase, you buy something for yourself with your money. You look for two things. Price and quality. Watch. You want the best watch, most quality, at the cheapest price because it's your money, Right? That's a first party purchase. A second party purchase is you're buying a watch for yourself. All parents will get this. You're buying a watch for yourself with your parents' money. So you want all of the bells and whistles. You want the highest quality and you want overnight shipping because your parents are paying for it. That's a second party purchase. Third party purchase 
You're buying something for somebody else with somebody else's money. So you don't care about price or quality. Why would anyone do that? Every day you're late for work, you put a dollar in the kitty. At the end of the day, at the end of the month, you have an employee meeting, and the person who's on time the most gets an award that is purchased from the money that's in the kitty. The manager realizes he didn't do what he was supposed to do, so he takes his secretary, who's eating her lunch because she only has 15 minutes, and says, go buy John, who's the employee of the month, something for the meeting in 10 minutes. There's $199. Go. She hates John. She puts her lunch down, which she's not going to get to enjoy. She goes to the closest store near the place, and it's a stuffed animal store. She buys a, she, she buys a six-foot pink bunny rabbit for $199. Shoves it in the break closet. They all come in for the employee meeting. They give John a clap. And they say, what did John get? And they open up the closet. And out comes a six-foot pink bunny rabbit. Everyone laughs hysterically. Barely fits in his convertible. He doesn't want it or need it. And it was overpriced. You see, the secretary bought something for someone else with somebody else's money. She didn't care about price or quality. By definition, every purchase the government makes is a third-party purchase. So that's why you limit government. Now, when he says, work the produce of the land, it's time to create wealth. The farmer grows the wheat or the barley, sells it to the baker, who pays a price the market will bear. And with that price, you buy more fields and hire more workers, and you bake the bread and sell it, and with the price the market will bear, you hire more workers and buy more ovens. And for wealth to be created, two parties have to benefit. The government doesn't make anything. They show up and take 30%, and they weren't even around. You're the tax collector if you're a business owner. You're, you're collecting on behalf of the government. They should pay you for working for them. The government doesn't create wealth. They divide it. God deals with this in this, in this passage. Some of you are struggling with this. And you're thinking, why is he taking so much time? Because God ended the welfare with the manna. And he says, now it's time to provide for your family. Go get a job and create wealth and make your community a place worthy to live in and do your job. And then finally, he runs in to the commander of the army of the Lord. And Joshua asks him a question. Are you for us or for our adversaries? It was a logical question to this impressive man. The response of the man was curious and most elusive. No. It was not a proper answer to Joshua's question. No. <laughs> it's, an, it's, it's a Christophany, appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Are you for us or for our adversaries? I, I'm, I, I can picture in my head how Jesus answered it. Nah. Nope. Nah. No. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. They're all fun. 
in the sense that man refuses to answer Joshua's question because it's not the right question. And it's not the most important question to be asked at that time. The question really wasn't if the Lord was on Joshua's side. The proper question was if Joshua was on the Lord's side. Now, this is where the evening of August, early morning of August 10th became difficult for me. I love my wife. I adore my wife. There's not a finer woman, finer wife on the face of the earth. And I mean that. I, I, I've shared with you before when I travel with her. I started traveling with her. I love traveling with her. It's always so it's easier when I travel with her. It's, except for the, the one problem is that I've always been taught that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And that's how I travel when I'm alone. Plane lands, my luggage is down. I'm in the aisle, open that door, let's go. I'm the first at the rental car place and I'm gone. My wife comes with me. I get her luggage down, I get my luggage down, I have it all set. Just, can I get my scarf that's in the, but we're getting ready to open it. I just need my, okay, here's your scarf. And my sunglasses too. It's, okay, sunglasses too. There's things that kind of bags, right? <laughs> wait, wait, I forgot something. I got to, come on, honey, let's go. Now we're in. I'm moving towards, moving, moving towards the rental car. I have to use the restroom. There, there were two on the plane, and one was right near where we were sitting. I just, those are dirty. These are cleaner? I didn't have to go then. Really? And I, I'd, I'd be getting angry, frustrated. And I remember one day I was like, Lord... She's driving me crazy. I mean, Lord, I, I love traveling with her, but I just got to tell you, this is, this is frustrating me. Lord, when I took care of Chuck Smith, when he landed at the airport in Watsonville at the FBO, I was trained to speak when spoken to, offer my opinion when I was asked, and to go in a straight line to wherever he needed to go and not to dawdle, and to make sure he had the things he needed and the snacks he wanted, and, and make sure that there was nothing left to chance. And I didn't, I washed the car and I had it ready. God goes, good. And I go, why can't Michelle do that for me? And the Lord said, she is. And I go, what are you talking about? Rob, she's Chuck. I'm Chuck. I'm the one who's speaking at these events. Rob, when she's with you, how does it go spiritually for you? Remarkable. And when she's not, awful. Rob, you see, you, you have a misunderstanding. You think you're the principal. Rob, you are Michelle's travel assistant. 
It takes time for us to learn these things. <laughs> and, and it really boiled down to, God, are you on my side or her side? No. <laughs> Rob, I want you on my side. And Joshua did so. Joshua's total submission to Jesus shows that he knows who was really in charge. It was also a virtual guarantee of victory for Israel. When we follow after the commander of the army of the Lord, how can we lose? And that's so true. In the early mornings of August 10th on my birthday, God taught me something new. And I applied what I had taught the week before and I learned how to say, I am sorry. Will you forgive me? And I was... <laughs> I was wrong. But then I kept saying, Lord, what about the circumcision? How is this supposed to help me? He showed me Colossians 2. In Christ you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that were against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And I thought, Lord... You saved me. Circumcision like baptism is a sign of grace. And God, I've been measuring myself by my accomplishments and what I think I deserve. God, please don't give me what I deserve. But God, would you give me a greater measure of grace that I wouldn't give Michelle the leftover? And I would be understanding of the needs of her parents and the intensity that is overwhelming her life right now. And would you make it sincere and change my heart? Grace is a gift. He did. You see, the human body has two blood clotting elements. One of them is called vitamin K. K comes from the German word coagulative vitamin. Vitamin K is not formed in the body up until the fifth and seventh day. Second clotting factor, which is essential, is called prothro, prothro, prothrombin. Prothrombin. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. It surprisingly enough develops to 30% of normal on the third day of life, and after that, peaks at 110% on the eighth day, just before leveling off at 100% of normal, if vitamin K is not present when a baby boy is circumcised, the baby will bleed to death. The reason why God established day eight for circumcision, bless you, that vitamin K peaks in a newborn on the eighth day of age. 
The eighth day is the optimum day for circumcision because the highest presence of the clotting factor, vitamin K. Today, with synthetic drugs, when baby boys are circumcised within a couple of days of birth, they're administered vitamin K. Don't allow that. Just wait eight days. God made the human body profound. We don't need any more injections. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, if a woman has conceived, born a male child, then she shall be made unclean seven days. As is the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean and the eighth day of the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. That's the newborn boy. By the way, you know who was circumcised? And some of you going, well, I would. <laughs> you know, it was Jesus. Yeah. I didn't need you to stand to tell everybody. You were, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> We have an agreement when I go past 1230, he gets first dibs at the restroom. <laughs> Number eight represents a new beginning, meaning a new order or creation and a man's true born again event when he is resurrected from dead in death into eternal life. And then I want to conclude with these passages to encourage you. Blessed means, oh, how happy are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Oh, how happy is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Do you know that when you came to Christ, and you received him as your savior, he nailed your sins to the cross, past, present, and future. He died in your place and paid the penalty and he imputed, put on your account his righteousness. When he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin and some of you drug in some sin from last night and even this morning, maybe this afternoon and you are just riddled with guilt. There's, there's, there's no need for that. You think you're less than. Some of you came in here thinking you're more than because you didn't and you've been fasting and God owes you. And you're struggling having to sit in a service with a minister who is so crass. Legalism's got you. That's a rat wheel that's not a lot of fun. You'll get tired. I used to think myself superior. God has a way of reducing us to a minimum that he might pour in his maximum. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. 1940, 41, 42, no one gave the Nobel Peace Prize because of the war, but they left Helsinki, Finland, and they moved it to, I believe, London, and they awarded two doctors for the work that they had done one was a man named Heinrich, um, Heinrich Dan, and the other was Doisy, uh, maybe Peter Doisy. Yeah, uh, Edward Doisy. And they won the Nobel Peace Prize for K is for coagulation. They showed what we saw with the prothrophrom beam <laughs> and vitamin K on the eighth day. Eighth day. It's not like Moses goes, well, let's try the first day, and if it doesn't bleed out, we'll go day two. <laughs> no, God said on the eighth day. Why? Because God made us. He knows what he's talking about. 
Covenant theologians view the Christian sacrament of baptism as fulfilling the Israelite practice of circumcision. Both being signs and seals of the covenant of grace. Grace, grace. I want you to hear it right now. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died and he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, Rob. But for him who died for them and rose again. There's only one thing that should compel you in the Christian walk. It's not the law. It's not your desire to be more moral than somebody else. It's not your superiority or your intrinsic gift to God. It's not even your failure and your shame. The one thing that compels you is right there, the love of Christ. You know how much he loves you? This much. Every Every drop of blood was poured out for you. Because blood must be shed for the remission of sin. His was sinless. I couldn't die for you. My, my blood is infected with sin. So is yours. It's intrinsic. He was tempted in all ways, yet was without sin. He died a death he did not deserve. And what compelled him? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The shame. You know what the joy was? You. Me. Oh, so you came in here with some trash. Big pile of trash. And you think everyone around you can smell it. Well, guess what? We all have it. But if Christ is your Savior and you have believed in your heart and confessed with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, and you're saved to the glory of the Father, faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God. You're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works. You don't have to earn it. He's ready to give it. And you come in here and you think, he won't love me. Romans 8.1, Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not condemned anymore. Maybe you can't forget, but he's cast as far as these is from the West and he's chosen not to remember. You'll never earn his love. You can only receive it. That is why grace changes everything. Ephesians, which Paul also wrote, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. I gave you all verses written by the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul started his ministry by saying, I'm a sinner. He ended his ministry by saying, I'm the chief of sinners. You'd think he would have gotten better. I close with this. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free. 
Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace, for we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love which compels you, the love of Christ, serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, and even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's who you are. If, if you're being put on trial, that's the evidence that you're found guilty of. There isn't, there isn't a life that has shown anything of Christ. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I was completely transformed by this one part that said, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the law is fulfilled in this one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I was not serving, being compelled by the love of Christ. And I did something I'm going to ask you to do. I stopped in my tracks and I said, God, forgive me. I've lost my joy of serving because it is motivated by my flesh and not compelled by the love of Christ. Please forgive my selfishness. Please forgive me for not being sensitive to the needs of my wife and my family. God, would you restore my joy? Take away my bitterness my envy and replace it by your spirit with a love 
for my neighbor. For greater love has no man than this and to lay down his life for a friend. Lord, you serve me unto death. Forgive me for not serving you now. I can only do it through Christ who strengthens me and I'm gonna ask for something I don't deserve but yet you give to me freely. I'm asking for an outpouring of your grace that I would love like you. Lord, baptize me in your love. Help me, Jesus. He did. He changed it. I wouldn't be standing here right now had he not done what he did. There's no time, there's no time for a closing song, but I'm gonna ask you to stand with me if you would. If you have not because you ask not, and right now is a time to ask. Grace is is it's a gift. And it requires receiving. If someone's holding a gift out to you, and I just had a birthday. Here, my daughter gave me a birthday gift this morning. Here, Dad, I got the, put my hands out, right? You have to reach for the gift they give you. Grace is a receiving action. Would you like an outpouring of God's grace on your marriage right now? Would you like an outpouring of God's grace on the areas you're struggling with? You feel ashamed, you feel guilty, whatever it is. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He wants to bless you right now. You don't feel worthy of blessing. It doesn't matter. His grace is about to change everything. He's ready to pour it out on you. He did it for me. I didn't deserve it. If you want that, close your eyes and put your hands up. Just like that. See what I'm doing? I'm receiving it. I'll pray for you while you're doing it. Lord, thank you for the men and women who are here in your presence, the commander of the armies of the Lord. We ask, are you for us or against us? You say no. You're asking us if we're for you, we are. You are our hope. You are our savior. And it's by grace through faith, it's a gift. And if we ask not, we have not. And those who are present, Lord, they're standing, their eyes are closed, their hands are open, and they're asking for that which you freely give, an outpouring of your grace. For those who are in the hearing of my voice or watching around the world, they too are asking for an outpouring of your grace. Grace that would bring a mending of a division in a marriage. Grace that would bring a healing in the human body. Grace that would restore a hardness of heart towards the church or those that they've served or children who have been estranged from their parents or parents estranged from their children, that that grace would overwhelm them and bring healing and blessing for Lord you have made it possible. Your grace changes everything. And now we freely ask because you've given us that privilege. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Walking great.